Hi there. Welcome to a special bonus edition of the Bible Project Daily Podcast. As you know, we've just finished season two and we're launching off next week with season three, beginning working through the Gospel of Matthew. Because I didn't want to jump in with the first episode right at the tail end of a week, I've decided to put this bonus episode up, which is part one of a new discipleship course I'm offering called A Guide to Preaching, looking at it particularly from the expository point of view, that is preaching and drawing messages directly out of the text of the Bible, out of the Word of God itself, something that is a bit of a paucity in this day and age. So if so if you or other people feel you have the gifting of preaching or teaching, this could be really useful to you. Now, it's not going to be available in the normal place. It's going to be free of charge at point of listening or watching, but it's only going to appear on my Patreon page and on my own personal LinkedIn page. And I would ask that if you are doing the course, which is going to be 10, perhaps at most 12 half-hour sessions, that you would perhaps consider Uh, making a donation to help support and cover this work. We are several thousand dollars a year uh, short of on outgoings of what comes in. Now, I happily cover that from my own circumstances, but I would be really grateful and appreciative that if you're finding this is helping you, that you would perhaps consider going through to my Patreon page and making a donation or uh, becoming a supporter. But anyway, that's it for now. I hope you find this helpful and the future editions will be going on Patreon and on LinkedIn once a week from September. Bye for now and enjoy a sample part one of my new course. Hi there everyone and welcome to what I hope will be a useful introduction to expository preaching, a series of about 10 or 12 talks where I hope to guide people and give them some hints, clues and helpful ways in which they can approach the Bible, the Word of God from the perspective of preparing expository messages. Now I think anyone and everyone who's ever spoken publicly wrestles with the thoughts about how they might be able to put together a clear, effective and an interesting presentation. We may all at some point have heard someone speak and been moved by them and recognised that, wow, that person really is an effective communicator. But there are also times when you may have felt that someone, maybe even you, delivered a message that was unclear, ineffective or even uninteresting, boring. It is at those moments you might ask yourself, how can I prepare effective messages? Everyone who has ever spoken publicly wrestles with the thought about how they might be able to put together clear, effective and interesting presentations. We may have all at some point sat in a room and heard someone speak and recognised and thought to yourself, wow, that person's a really effective communicator. There are those times when you have felt that someone, maybe even you, on the other hand, delivered a message that was unclear, ineffective, uninteresting, boring even. And it is at those moments you probably asked yourself, how can I prepare effective messages? Now, I have asked that question of myself over the years. 
As a young boy of about 12 years old, one of the things we were asked to do during our first months at this new school was to stand at the front and do a talk, a 10 minute talk on our favourite subject. Now at that age I had a very early interest, some might say almost an obsession with astronomy. I was the generation who grew up with the Apollo space missions. And when I actually gave my talk, I find that it seemed that I seemed to have a more natural ability to stand in front and talk about the subject I was interested in than most of my friends in the class. Probably the key to me being a reasonably effective communicator that day was a, a reasonable background knowledge of the subject I was going to talk about, confidence that I knew about the subject, and the fact that I had this real enthusiasm for the subject that I was going to discuss. Now, as someone at that age who, at that time, really struggled with mathematics and don't even talk to me about art, I realised that this was a way in which I could find my voice. I felt deeply at that point I had something to say. I wanted to try and communicate the awe and the majesty and the size of the universe that I was discovering at that time. And I was doing it by looking at the night sky every evening in my back garden with a telescope I had saved to buy. I wanted to aspire others and I wanted them to feel the excitement that I felt when I looked up to the heavens. And I wanted to try and do that effectively as possible. And probably on that day or in that preparation of that talk, the seed of public speaking was planted very early on in my life and it was left to germinate. But later, after I'd given a rather nervous, mediocre, some might say, poor best man speech at the age of 21, it was then I began to wrestle with the question of how you can do that sort of thing in a more engaging manner. Then as a young man, I got my first job, which was in financial services, and I found myself in a situation where sometimes I was expected to present to a group of people in an office environment and sometimes even take a meeting. It was then I was directed to read books like The Classic Principles and Types of Speech by Alan Munro and some of the management books by someone who was very popular at that time, a guy called Stephen H. Covey. It was later as a Christian I read books like The Art of Preaching and Biblical Preaching by Dr. W. Robinson and Preaching Through the Bible by a guy called Sangster. I also came across the writings and the teachings of Dr. Michael Kokoros of Dallas Seminary, who was pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago at that time, and his introduction to expository preaching also had a great influence and shaped the way I approached preaching at church on a Sunday. These resources, along with my own life experience of preaching and teaching for over 30 years now, have given me a foundation and a framework I believe that works for me for sermon preparation and preaching. And what I'm trying to do and what follows over these talks and in the booklet I'll be creating is try and sort of unpack those insights for what they're worth. Now, in many ways, I, of course, am way underqualified to offer such advice. But the reality is, in truth, sometimes when I hear ministers or even church leaders, sometimes of large churches, and I listen to them teach nowadays, I feel perhaps I can offer something of a framework to help people. In truth, in reality, I'm sometimes shocked at the lack of forethought or even the lack of basic Bible knowledge that some people bring to the pulpit these days. 
I offer this advice mainly because I see so little expositional preaching in the modern evangelical church. I believe there are some basic guidelines that we can apply to preaching and to teaching and leading Bible studies when approaching it from an expository framework. Now the basic starting point for any expository message should be the title and the scripture reference. You may want to include things like an introduction, a sermon outline, and then introduce material to support the various points you've made. And then finally, maybe give a real world example and have a conclusion. And all these aspects of an expository message will be discussed as we work through these videos and audio files, this course together, but we won't approach them necessarily in that order. The reason I quoted them in that way is that it's just the way they appear and are used in a sermon message. You see, in real life, the process begins with the preparation of the message. For me, the introduction, and very often the title as well, you might be surprised to hear, comes later. In fact, I often create the title last. And the introduction is normally prepared after other parts of the message because there are various types of introduction that you do and sometimes I'm not clear until I'm well into the framework of the message, am I going to use an attention grabber? Am I going to use a real world example? Or am I going to use humor to sort of draw people's attention at the beginning of the message? But I won't really know that until I've got through and reached a point where the main sort of framework of the message has been created. Now, what I need to say very clearly is what will follow in these series of talks is not a template for creating an amazing sermon. But I do believe these guidelines can help increase the likelihood that you will be able to create effective messages if you are gifted and believe that God has called you to do that. It is still the general approach that I use today and have used now for over 30 years to prepare a sermon. However, I do think that we need to keep in mind something that William A. Quayle said, the author of the classic book, Pastor Preacher, and we need to hold this very close when we're approaching preaching the Word of God. He said, preaching is not the art of making and delivering a sermon. Preaching is the art of making a preacher and delivering him. I hope and pray that the short series of talks that I offer to you will be used by the Holy Spirit to make a few more preachers amongst us out there, to make a few more expository preachers amongst us out there in the church, in the UK and beyond. Okay, before we proceed any further, I think it's worthwhile giving a little bit of overview and background into expository preaching, what it means and its history. Expository preaching it's also sometimes known as expositional preaching, is a form of, of preaching that details the meaning of a particular text, a passage, a scripture, and it explains what the Bible means and what the text says. That's its core starting point. Good expositional preaching is an act of carefully drawing out the exact meaning of the message and considering how it might apply today. When the term exposition is used in conjunction, and it can be used in conjunction with any verbal informative teaching on any subject, but of course, in terms of the Christian context, it is used solely in relation to Bible preaching and teaching, 
Other worthwhile works will be considered, but only as support for the core expositional message. Now, the practice of exposition actually originated from the Jewish tradition of the rabbi giving a Devar Torah, in other words, explaining a passage from the Torah during a meeting or a prayer service. Now, expository preaching differs from topical preaching in that the former concentrates on a specific text and discusses the topics contained therein, whereas topical preaching concentrates on selecting a specific topic and references texts concerning that topic. Expository preaching is more than a technique. It's a term that refers to the proclamation of the content of the Bible as it appears in the text, as opposed to having a primary emphasis on the application of the message. It's a good thing to always offer some application in the summary of an expositional message, but it shouldn't take center stage. Now, there are a number of other techniques for preaching, including historical, narrative, thematic, all have their place. But it is my sincere belief that the main thrust of Bible study and teaching and preaching that should appear in churches should, in the main, be expositional in approach. The potential weakness of the other forms generally centre around their inability to precisely unpack and reveal the original meaning of the text. Now there is of course an overlap between all these types because of these types if they're done correctly and they can all be done correctly they share one source the Bible. The expository method of preaching has traditionally been favoured by those who wholly believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God and is thus worthy of being presented in its pure essence rather than modifying the message to just match the background of the current social trends or even just to try and line it up with the demographics of the listeners sitting in front of the speaker. When the passage to be studied is decided by the preacher or the individual church, Either way, the preacher will still have the freedom to work out within the passage which passage and how it is to be studied at a particular time. In such a situation, the preacher will often preach through an entire book of scripture. That's quite a normal and historic pattern for expository preaching, which generally allows far more time for the text to be studied and more time, of course, is given over for that purpose. Under some circumstances, preachers may prefer to preach through whole books of the Bible systematically over a long period of time. Now, the key advantage to this way of approaching it is the preacher is forced to expound passages that may not have been examined or applied normally under a topical series. I find that all the time when I've worked through entire books of the Bible. Subjects that in no way I would have planned to approach have not only forced their attention on me, But you know what? I've never, ever, when I've preached on one of those subjects or one of those passages that I would probably and myself have ignored, I've never once failed to gain really special insights out of it. The disadvantage of the other type of teaching is there's always a temptation to overlook certain parts of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, and they can get looked all together. So let me just take a moment to recap and give you some of the advantages and disadvantages of the expository method. Some advantages of expository preaching are as follows. 
the presentation of the entire content of an entire Bible passage is normally attempted, regardless of the desires of the congregations. Hot topics and controversial topics may not be avoided and pandering to the needs of one particularly vociferous or loud group portion of a congregation can therefore be avoided. Also, on a very practical level, it means as a preacher you're never lost for a sermon subject. You know what you're doing, where you're going and what you're going to be doing next. Also, the preacher is not left to guess the needs of the flock and to present alternative topics that are sort of floated out on the wind of change. Since the preacher believes that God's word is, well, it has comprehensive answers for all the needs of those who receive it, so he can approach it confidently in the expositional method. But there are some disadvantages to expository preaching, and they're worth noting, and sometimes we need to account for them in our approach. The truth in a particular Bible passage may not be that which is most needed by the particular congregation or the people that you're speaking to at that point in their lives. The topic presented may lack the unity afforded by the topical method. And by limiting the message to a certain passage, the presentation of a topic may not be covered in its fullness aspect of it may be neglected which is why it's not a problem to sometimes bring in supporting texts sometimes from the new testament particularly when uh, looking at an old testament passage to uh, maybe explain and unpack it further there is a great history of expository preaching in the church as i said expository preaching has although it's linked to the earliest jewish traditions it fell out of favor for many many hundreds of years but took on a real new life under a chap called Ulrich Zwingli, who began his continuous exposition of the Gospel of Matthew on the 1st of January 1519 in the city of Zurich, and that exposition lasted several years. Other reformers, like Zwingli's friend Johannes Ossiklampus, he followed suit. It was his accidental stumbling upon the earlier sermons of John Christendom, who was one of the very early church fathers, and discovering that he practiced expository preaching, that inspired him to return to the classic form and vociferously represent and recommend that approach to preachers to everyone he came in contact with. His own exposition of 1 John in 1523 was a pattern of preaching that he initially did in Basel, but it was adopted and formalized in 1529 and it swept like wildfire across the Swiss-German areas as a method of approaching the Bible. Now, although both Ossiklampis and Zwingli died in 1531, this form of preaching that they and other Swiss reformers at that time, people like Wolfgang Capito and Martin Busser, it had been established and it would form the standard model for that time for a while, and many would say it would be taken on board and perfected in its highest form by a guy called John Calvin. John Calvin began to draft a very famous work called Institutes of Christian Religion, which strongly encouraged an expository approach to Bible study and preaching, and it had such an effect, that book, that almost every preacher in Basel by 1535 and later almost every pulpit in Switzerland and beyond 
became wholly devoted to the continuous reading and preaching through entire books of the Bible. Translations of Calvin's expository sermons would inspire generations of Reformed Christians, both in England and the Netherlands, and even the Puritans on both sides of the Atlantic, and all the preachers of what are referred to as the Great Evangelical Awakening. John Knox would take the form of exposition, which he learned from Calvin after visiting Geneva, and he brought it back to Scotland, and it became the backbone of the move of God within the Scottish Church at that time. But it's not all trapped in history. Many very famous evangelical preachers in the modern era have likewise used this, the systematic exposition of the Bible. James Vernon McGee, you may have heard him through his famous radio program, is probably the best exemplar of the purely expository method of preaching, certainly in modern American times. He preached more than one time a five-year cycle through the entire Bible. A great evangelical preacher of the 20th century in the United Kingdom was Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was minister of Westminster Chapel in London from 1939 all the way up to 1968. His sermons almost always were expositional in nature. His series on Romans took years to complete as he worked through that book almost a single verse at a time. Other famous expository preachers from the UK include people like Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, John Stott more recently, and William Still from Scotland. You have, looking further afield, you've got David Cook in Australia. In recent times, Stephen Alfred and Fred Cranach from the United States. Many, many of the most prominent preachers in the second half of the 20th century have to a greater or lesser extent been expository Bible preachers and many of them would also say they were persuaded in the importance of a systematic exposition by the results of reading works by A.W. Pink. Another famous Bible preacher of recent years have included people like Criswell, he was the guy who was former head of the Southern Baptist denomination in the U.S. He actually managed to cover the entire Bible over a 17-year period during his time as pastor of First Baptist Church in Texas. But that's the historical point of view. What is the scriptural basis for expository preaching? For those of us who believe that the dominant source, the main source, some might say the only source of Christian understanding is the Bible, it would seem obvious that expository preaching should be essential. It should be naturally what we do. Nonetheless, the logic of holding that position demands that this form of preaching itself then should have its own scriptural warrant to back it up. Now, the basis for this type of preaching can be found in many places in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 and 17 perhaps is the most important. I'll just quote it for you. It states this. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. This verse tells us that the Bible is actually God's word. The phrase a breathed out is also a link to the Holy Spirit, which shows a link between the work of God's spirit and the work of God's word. The verse also goes on to explain that scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. This tells me that the Bible is not theoretical. 
it is practical and it has an application. And finally, it states that though it is the individual and through the study of the Bible systematically, the individual may be made mature, competent and equipped for every good work. Now, many believe that this verse claims to show the sufficiency of Scripture. That is, that there is everything to be found here that all Christians need to understand their faith and how to live the life of faith. Another passage of scripture that expositors point to is 2 Timothy 4 verses 1 and 2, which tells us to preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. That means do those things by using the word of God, not going up to people and just uh, hitting them with both barrels, so to speak. I continue, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want them to hear. In this passage, Paul is telling, literally commanding the young pastor, Timothy, to preach the word. Now, these three simple words, preach the word, in their own context, are a strong argument for the necessity of expository preaching. The word preach is a word that is often used and it means to herald. Here the preacher is being commanded to be a herald, to be someone who will communicate a message that is not his own. That's important to bear in mind. A herald announces the message, the coming of another. Therefore the task of the preacher should be primarily to communicate the word of God. This passage is a central argument I would say it's the biblical mandate that expository preaching is the main way we should approach the text. Another important verse is found in Ephesians 6 verse 7, which states that the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. So this indicates for us the link between the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of God's word. It shows that if the word of God is read, examined, and then applied by the hearer, that this application is done and is also a work of the Holy Spirit himself. Another, a third important verse is found in Hebrews, which says this, The word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of souls and spirits, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The picture of God's word as a deadly sword is deliberate here. Not because of any implied violence, because the fact that it can bring change to those who listen to God's word. And also, a sword can cut a division in the mind of the person, a division in even in our societies, a division to show the marking point, the division between truth and error, both intellectually and how it should be applied in people's lives and in wider society. Notice that the word of God is almost given a personality of, it, of its own here, which applies again that behind the application is the work of the person of the Holy Spirit, the one who will work with and, and use the word of God to literally apply it into people's hearts and change their lives. So there we are. That's just a little bit of an introduction and a historical and practical overview. And we launch off together 
and we uh, uh, and we'll consider more what Timothy means when he tells us to preach the word and how we might do that. So hopefully that's been helpful for you as a starting point and I'll see you back here again next time. Bye for now.